Welcome to the Untangled Chaos Podcast. I'm Marie Woods, and this is episode two. Let's talk about trauma. And this is such an important topic that I feel so passionate about in my work as a therapist and with others in relationships and in creating wholeness and happiness in their life. Um, And it's also a really sensitive topic that people have lots of, of mixed feelings and opinions about. So I wanted to just, you know, have a conversation today about where we learn to be in relationships and where we learn to be in relationships is in our family of origin. Uh, our family of origin is kind of a fancy therapy term for our immediate family, the family that we're born into or the family that we're raised in. Um, typically this, you know, includes our parents and our siblings, um, but could also include extended family at times. And we learn to be in relationships primarily from our major caregivers who may be our parents, um, excuse me, but may also be coaches or teachers or mentors or a nanny, an au pair, um, a babysitter. There can be a number of, of different people that hold that role of major caregiver in our life. And in these relationships, we learn whether it's safe to attach to someone or not. And if it's not safe to attach for what ever reasons, much of what we'll talk about today in the podcast in terms of trauma, we learn to turn to other unhealthy coping mechanisms. And that's where we see uh, things like addictions come in. We see rage issues, um, depression, anxiety. There can be a whole gamut of, of ways we learn to attach to something else if our major caregiver is not that source of attachment. And so... Everyone experiences these ruptures in attachment throughout their life. Uh, There are no perfect parents or perfect families, but how these ruptures are addressed, if they are addressed, is, is really where the healing happens. And a major factor that impacts our ability to form, be, and stay in healthy relationships with others is addressing these ruptures or You may also use the term, and I'll use the term throughout this podcast, trauma, um, to describe those ruptures. And this word is used a lot in our culture and in our society in a very broad way, where before it was used in a very limited way. In much of human history, the concept of trauma has not been fully understood but has been used to describe primarily horrific, life-altering, and often shattering events that occur in someone's life. Um, This definition is still very true and real. However, a broader definition and view of trauma seems to have evolved over the last 20 or 30 years that is helping many people understand their histories and their stories and ultimately leading to healing. And as a therapist and as a person, I default to the definition of trauma provided by Pia Melody. She's a world-renowned author on the concept of codependency and trauma. Um, She's been a mentor of mine. I've been honored to work at her treatment facility, The Meadows, out in Arizona. And she characterizes trauma as anything less than nurturing. So before you go rolling your eyes and throwing in the millennial snowflake, 
throwing me in the millennial snowflake camp. Hear me out and let me explain to you just a few tenets I believe to be true about trauma. And then I want to launch into talking about the different types of trauma and really diving into that. When we use the definition of anything less than nurturing to define trauma, this allows people to take a look at their history more closely as to what, quote, less than nurturing experiences may have occurred in their life. As humans, our brain often defaults to minimizing our experiences that compartmentalize that. It's a way to survive. And when we encounter really tragic circumstances that are overwhelming to our system, we may default to minimizing that experience in order to survive. So when you open up the door to ask someone, has anything traumatizing ever happened to you? A lot of times people will say no. No, I've not been through anything really traumatic. But if you ask someone, have there been any experiences in your life that you experienced as less than nurturing, that opens up a whole new avenue to talk about their life and potential trauma. I also don't think that the experience of trauma is an excuse for poor or bad behavior. As adults, we're all responsible for dealing with our traumatic experiences. So that being said, sometimes we don't know that trauma is the influence of our everyday behaviors and in our everyday life. The only way a person can look at and deal with their trauma is if we provide them a broad lens like Pia Melody's definition from which to approach their trauma and then they have something to deal with. Research also shows that traumatic experiences like the ones I'm going to discuss here today in the podcast have a real impact on the brain. This is not just something that myself or another mental health professional made up. There is actually a chemical process that happens in the brain when it is impacted by certain traumatic circumstances. This impact on the brain influences a person's choices and their actions which when the trauma is untreated and significant enough, often yields poor choices and behaviors like rage, addiction, impulsivity, depression, etc. Luckily, our brains are able to heal through a process called neuroplasticity, but it is a process and it does take time. Today, I'm only going to focus on identifying the trauma, the different types, what it is, um, but that's just the first step in addressing it. In later podcasts, I'll talk more about different ways to address and ultimately heal the trauma once it's been recognized. Um, So let's jump into learning a little bit more about the concept of trauma. I want to note that I will just be giving a brief overview of the different categories of abuse and trauma. I could and probably will do an entire podcast on each and every different type when it comes to the different forms of abuse. Um, This is especially true in the case of sexual abuse and emotional abuse, as these are some of my areas of expertise and and places that I feel very passionate about. Um, But today I wanted to start with just a basic understanding of what trauma is. Um, So, so far, you know, we're defining, we're operating under the definition that trauma is anything less than nurturing. We're also operating under the premise that It is not an excuse for behavior um, that is inappropriate or hurtful or offensive to others, but it does provide us a bit of an explanation so that we can begin our own healing process. 
Um, so there are a couple of different global categories of trauma that um, I want to talk about. First of all, it's the concept of overt versus covert trauma. Um, so overt trauma is out in the open. It's really obvious. It's kind of what we would think about um, when we think about the concept of abuse or trauma. Significant, severe, sometimes even criminal in nature. Um, these would be things like physical or sexual abuse. At the same time, there is another form of trauma and abuse that's covert. And this is hidden. It's less obvious. It's very subtle. Uh, sometimes it's a message that someone picked up over time, may not have been verbalized, uh, and can be harder to identify than overt trauma. And this is where that concept of looking at anything less than nurturing becomes very helpful in order to lurk at more subtle forms of trauma and abuse. These can be any kind of negative messages that come at you, sarcastic or passive remarks, uh, tone of voice, uh, crazy making, manipulation, those kind of um, pieces would fall under covert trauma. And within both overt and covert trauma, there are different types of abuse. And I wanna be careful that I'm not using the terms abuse and trauma interchangeably. Um, all abuse is trauma, but not all trauma is abuse. Um, and that's a really important thing to understand. So we can have traumatic things that happen to us that are not anyone's fault, um, natural disasters, car accidents, um, things like that that just happen. Um, and they're certainly traumatic on our system and in our lives, but they're not necessarily abusive. No one, um, no one projected that onto us. Abuse typically um, comes from an outside source that's not, um, that doesn't happen from a natural disaster, doesn't happen naturally, it's caused by oftentimes, most times, another person. Um, often another person in power or another person who is older than us or more, um, more powerful than us, stronger than us, you know, in the sense of an adult versus a child. Um, and that, those types of situations are always traumatic, even if we don't recognize it at the time. And that's for some of those reasons that I've already talked about before and we'll talk more about in the future. And so there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, intellectual abuse, spiritual abuse, and peer and or social environment abuse. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of those and kind of what what does that even mean? Because we may all have very different understandings and definitions of what um, the different types of abuse are. And you may disagree with me. I, you know, I can say that there were definitely different times in my life where I would have seen these definitions differently. Um, but based on what I do for a living and the stories I hear day in and day out, I see it a little bit differently now. Um, I have a broader perspective. So my hope is that you would just keep an open mind as you're listening today and and see if if perhaps you know a more expanded definition of trauma or abuse may help you understand yourself or or someone else. Um, so in talking about um, physical abuse, this you know is is pretty obvious in our culture um, from a broad spectrum. We know that 
um, physical abuse is not okay and that how someone treats um, a child's body or an adult's body and their attitude about the body um, being without respect is physical abuse. And sometimes this um, is in a situation from parent to child, oftentimes um, can be an assault under the guise of discipline. Um, so that gets a little confusing in our culture and people see that very differently. But physical abuse is occurring anytime that discipline is not about teaching, guiding, and setting limits as it is intended. So when a major caregiver or um, a parent or an authority figure um, hits us or disrespects our body, um, what they teach is that our body's not important, they're in control, we're not in control. Um, and that takes a toll on a person, and especially when it occurs repetitively, can really uh, impact them in many ways throughout their adult life. On a very basic level, um, any kind of physical harm, striking, punching, slapping, shaking, hair pulling, pinching, head banging, kicking, inappropriate tickling where a child is, is scared, um, not just talking about fun tickling, being locked in a room or a closet, being burned, cut, spit on, all of those things would fall under the category of physical abuse. Um, also, Another form of physical abuse is, is failure to provide basic needs like food, clothing, and shelter um, certainly would fall under that and also would fall under the category of neglect. Um, so remember that physical abuse can be a broad category, but it's really about any way um, that a person's body is treated um, poorly with any of those ways that we listed above. And most of us in our society can recognize that type of overt physical abuse. Now, when we talk about physical abuse, the topic of spanking children always comes up. Um, whether is, what is this abusive or is this not? And, um, you know, I think one thing that um, I always try to keep in mind is, is something that I was taught in my own training is that the use of implements, um, paddles, belts, um, shoes, which is a common occurrence, switches, that sort of thing, um, creates a situation um, of physical abuse versus being spanked with a hand. Um, and that's because you're unable to determine the force when you are spanking with an object. If you're hitting with your hand, um, then you're able to feel how hard that is. Um, and so you are able to recognize the force, which um, limits the damage. Um, you know, I'm certainly not an expert to say whether or not, you know, spanking is physically abusive or not. Um, I certainly think that um, I have opinions on whether or not it is the most um, effective form of behavior change. And I think certainly we have much research today to show that there are more effective ways of uh, affirming, nurturing, and setting limits with children. Um, but 
if you're kind of in the camp of being curious about whether or not, um, you know, your spankings you experienced were physically abusive, um, then generally the use of implements is a good determinant of whether or not um, a situation is abusive. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a parent and you're recognizing that the you've done these things, that you've used an implement to spank your child, and perhaps that's what, you know, was done with you as a kid, and maybe you're feeling some, some guilt around that as I'm talking about it right now, um, the best thing to do is just to stop doing it if it's not, it doesn't feel right, and revert to other ways of of discipline Um, you can't go back and change what you've done Um, if you feel like you have been in a situation that was um, abusive and um, you need some support around that I encourage you to reach out to a mental health provider and and get some support on how um, how to address that Um, simply just providing education and information today on this podcast um, but want to make note that you might need some guidance around this if this is something that you're confused on. Um, so that covers kind of the, the major outline of, of physical abuse. Um, probably the next most obvious form of um, overt abuse is sexual abuse. Um, and this is a really tough one. Um, but one thing that's not tough about it to me is the concept that it is non-negotiable. It was never the fault of a child. Sexual abuse is never the fault of a child. Um, and here I, I'm referring to anyone between the ages of 0 and 17 as a child. Um, it doesn't matter the context in which it happens. The adult is always responsible. And if an adult is being sexual with a child, someone between the ages of 0 to 17, it is abuse even if it feels good. And that's why I say this can be difficult because our bodies are primed to respond to um, sexual stimuli. So if sexual stimuli is happening, we as a child may respond biologically and it might feel good. And that can be very confusing when that occurs to someone as to whether or not it was wrong or not. So that's why I make a very specific point to say that it is never the fault of the child and it is not their fault if it physically feels good, Um, which in many cases it does not, but sometimes it does. Um, So there's physical sexual abuse, which would be any type of of sexual act and for the sake of um, brevity and for the sake of of ratings i'm not going to list out all the different types of sexual acts that that could include um i think any type of sexual behavior um, falls under this category Um, this would also include any kind of sexual behavior between um, family members just because it's within the family doesn't make it okay Um, this would also include any kind of exposing Um, themselves to a child, any kind of voyeurism, um, or viewing the child even in a subtle way, um, or any kind of an inappropriate sexual talk, which that one is is, um, often less obvious, but any kind of sexual innuendos, joking, humor, sexual name-calling, and again, I'm talking between 
an adult and a child here um, are considered abusive. The probably more complex and less obvious category is covert sexual abuse. And this is something that I could do an entire podcast on and, and probably will, will but um, want to talk about just some examples of that would be, you know, any kind of poor sexual boundaries where someone's being objectified, um, failing to protect them from any kind of sexual um, abuse or um, failure to provide privacy for a child's sexual needs, being sexual in a child's presence lack of or too much sexual information uh, those are also forms of sexual abuse but they are more covert um, and that they have they're not as obvious and they have a longer term impact on kids um, so that's physical and sexual abuse mostly we think of those in their overt more obvious form um, but there are definitely covert forms of physical and, and sexual abuse um, And the next category is emotional abuse. Um, This can be a little bit harder to identify than physical or sexual abuse. In general, um, it looks like a failure to provide emotional nurturing or affection. So this is on the part of, of a parent to a child, refusing to allow a child to express their emotions and demonstrating improper expression of emotion. So that would look like rage or being um, sarcastic, ridicule, belittling, guilting, teasing, competing with a child, um, silent treatment, manipulation, a parent threatening to commit suicide, um, broken promises, being given information that's inappropriate for your age. All of those will fall under emotional, the category of emotional abuse. Um, and, and you may be, you know, I'm throwing out some really broad examples here, and obviously I could go into detail explaining why each one of those could be emotional abuse, but keep in mind this is a spectrum, um, and, you know, when these things, if these things happen on a one-time occasion, maybe there's a inappropriate remark made to a kid, and you correct that, and you um, explain to the child why that was wrong, then certainly you're repairing that rupture. But a lot of times I find that in in situations with individuals, they've experienced various forms of these types of abuse over and over. Um, and it was never maybe even mentioned that it was inappropriate. Uh, perhaps they didn't realize it was inappropriate until their adulthood. So there are a lot of factors um, that play into this. I'm simply just giving an overview um, for the process of you know kind of looking into deeper into your story or maybe someone you know and love Um, other forms of emotional abuse would be um, shaming a child for feeling their feelings um, not teaching them how to express their feelings not being taught appropriate coping skills a parent may be medicating their feelings or blaming their behaviors on someone else is poor role modeling for a kid. Uh, being ignored or neglected or abandoned, certainly um, significant forms of emotional abuse. Feeling crazy made, being given mixed messages, um, and rigid thinking where a child has no choice. All of that falls under the category of emotional abuse. Um, 
<clears throat> more examples because this is a really big category include being overindulged overprotected um, not given any accountability or any limits being blamed for parents emotions forced to keep secrets being emotionally isolated the kind of family rules of don't talk don't feel and don't trust um, those would all fall under that category as well and Again, this is, this is a really broad spectrum. It's also probably the most impactful um, form of abuse. Emotional abuse carries a lot of weight, and I think that is the form of abuse that has really gotten the most, um, what's the word, the most um, attention in the recent years where we, you know, if we were to talk about trauma and abuse, physical and sexual abuse certainly was on most people's radars, but this concept of emotional abuse um, and the the way it resonates in a family and intergenerationally um, has really gotten more uh, traction in the past um, several decades and, and really has led to a lot of headway in uh, trauma treatment. Um, it also, I think, has led to a lot of confusion for people. So if you're sitting listening to this and you're feeling confused or overwhelmed by this concept, please don't stop listening just today as we're going to elaborate on a lot of these things. Um, I know that for me, some of these um, categories um, in my own life, I, I had experienced forms of emotional abuse. I, at the same time, I also know that that wasn't the intention of any caregivers in my life, um, but yet it still impacted me. And so part of my own healing and part of an individual's healing around this is learning to be able to hold both that yes, this happened to me and it did impact me and it did hurt me. And at the same time, um, it may not have been intentional. Um, and even if it was, um, we can recognize that and I can still heal from it. Um, so I just want to, you know, to, to say that this isn't about blaming, this isn't about um, shaming yourself or anyone else, but it's about learning and, and doing something different. Um, so, so moving into a different category, but it's sort of in the same vein as intellectual abuse. Um, and this is a little bit more narrow form, um, kind of within the emotional vein um, where a child's thinking process may be attacked or they're told to think a certain way or they're, maybe they're told that they're stupid or they're an idiot. Um, maybe they, their expression, their emotions, and their thoughts is over-controlled. They're not allowed to talk or say what they think or feel. They may be ridiculed for being smart um, or not smart enough. They may not have been provided appropriate education. Um, and this is a good example of how it could be um, unintentional. You know, often parents, I really believe parents are doing the best with what they have and sometimes they're doing the best with what they have in terms of their emotional resources and um, maybe they can't send kids to um, the school that they need or can't attend games or show up to things for other uh, reasons. Um, financial is often a big one in the child's life. That doesn't make it not abusive. That doesn't make it okay. But um, I think it is important to note that often, um, you know, parents are not, most often, the parents are not intending to um, hurt their children. 
a failure to teach logical thinking and problem solving, failure to support a child with a learning disability, um, and even some experiences of boarding school and military school can be experienced as intellectual abuse from a kid. Um, so that's one area. Um, I want to talk about a couple more areas and then kind of wrap up for today's segment. And the two, last two areas I want to talk about are spiritual abuse and peer or social abuse. And again, I could spend hours talking about each of these subjects on their own and probably will in future episodes. Um, but spiritual abuse is disrespecting a child's reality, um, demanding that, that you're their higher power, um, demanding perfection, over-controlling or forcing religious beliefs, um, not being allowed to explore, challenge, or question, or not providing any sort of spiritual nurturing. And again, we're not talking about religion here. We're talking about spirituality, um, the concept of something greater than oneself, and often a lack of or too much of a certain spiritual vein is what um, impacts a child and, and it feels abusive. Um, certainly being raised by a religious addict or fanatic um, is an abusive situation. Um, abuse by a spiritual leader, which unfortunately we're all too familiar with in, in the past um, and still sometimes ongoing. When a major caregiver doesn't follow rules, they, you know, sort of show that they're above the law or better than, um, you know, more of a higher power. This can be uh, seen as spiritual abuse, not being given any spiritual abuse, um, instilling fear um, in a kid around spirituality, and any kind of cult or radical religious practices would fall under the category of spiritual abuse. Um, so again, I can go into much more depth on that category um, and certainly can and will in future episodes, but those are just some of the kind of global highlights. And as far as peer and social abuse in Western culture, you know, we hit age five and we spend most of our time in our social environment as we start school and things like bullying and teasing, um, especially for reasons of race, religion, sexuality, socioeconomic status physical appearance would certainly fall under that peer or social abuse, often also being born outside of a marriage or product of rape or affair or teen pregnancy can often be a form um, of um, peer or social abuse depending on the circle. Um, so, so these categories of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, peer, and social um, really impact our ability to be in relationships, impact our ability to, to understand whether or not something is safe, an environment is safe, um, and whether we can trust and whether we can lean in and be vulnerable. Um, and if, if we don't deem relationships safe, then this will often come up in our defense mechanisms of anger, rage, or depression, um, drinking, sex, all kinds of, you know, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of other addiction components. So it's a really important concept to understand. And if you're resonating today with anything that I'm saying, um, I would love to um, connect with you 
and you know support you. Um, there's a couple of different ways that you guys can can reach out to me. Uh, one is is follow me on Facebook. Marie Woods Online is our Facebook page, and the podcast will be posted there as well. Feel free to engage there. Um, you know, if you're looking for something more personal or more in depth, uh, visit my website mariewoodsonline.com and uh, sign up to schedule a session or a consultation with me. I'm happy to direct you to resources or meet with you personally um, if that's a fit. And also my, my website has resources, um, books, blog posts, um, videos, quotes, inspiration, all kinds of stuff like that on it. So there's a couple of different ways um, which you can continue this um, conversation about trauma and the impact on relationships. So I'm really grateful for you tuning in today. Um, head on over to my Facebook page, like and follow it so you can keep up with all the discussion. Head over to my website, mariewoodsonline.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you can get all of the resources as they're released. Um, and again, I'm so grateful for you tuning in. I hope this has been helpful and I look forward to chatting with you guys more as we um, roll out more episodes. Thanks.